Chapter 11 of A Bunch of Everlastings, or Texts That Made History, by Frank W. Borum. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tim Bauer. Chapter 11 John Knox Text Some men are not born to die. It is their prerogative to live. They come on purpose. A thousand deaths will not lay them in the grave. No disease from within, no danger from without, can by any means destroy them. They bear upon the face the stamp of the immortal. In more sense than one, they come into the world for good. Among such deathless men, John Knox stands out conspicuously. When in Edinburgh, it is impossible to believe that John Knox lived four hundred years ago. He is so very much alive today that it seems incredible that he has lived even then. The people will show you his grave in the middle of the road, and the meager epitaph on the flat tombstone will do its feeble best to convince you that his voice has been silent for centuries. But you will skeptically shake your head and move away, for as you walk about the noble and romantic city, John Knox is everywhere. He is the most ubiquitous man you meet. You come upon him at every street. Here is the house in which he dwelt. There is the church in which he preached. At every turn you come upon places that are haunted by him still. The very stones vibrate with the strident accents of his voice. The walls echo his footsteps. I was introduced to quite a number of people in Edinburgh, but I blush to confess that I have forgotten them all, all but John Knox. It really seems to me, looking back upon that visit, that I met John Knox somewhere or other every five minutes. I could hear the ring of his voice, I could see the flash of his eyes, I could feel the impress of his huge commanding personality. The tomb in the middle of the road notwithstanding, John Knox is indisputably the most virile force in Scotland at this hour. I dare to say that, like me, he sometimes catches sight of that tomb in the middle of the road. If so, he laughs as he could laugh, and strides defiantly on for john knox was born in fifteen o five and behold he liveth and abideth for ever john knox i say was born in fifteen o five in fifteen o five therefore scotland was born again for the birth of such a man is the regeneration of a nation life in knox was not only immortal it was contagious because of knox carlyle affirms the people began to live in the history of scotland says carlyle himself a scotsman in the history of scotland i can find but one epic it contains nothing of world interest at all but this reformation by knox but surely surely the sage is nodding has carlyle forgotten sir walter scott and robert burns and all scotland's noble contributions to literature to industry to religion and to life but carlyle will not retract or modify a single word this that Knox did for his nation, he goes on, was the resurrection as from death. The people began to live. Scotch literature and thought, Scotch industry, James Watt, David Hume, Walter Scott, Robert Burns. I find John Knox acting in the heart's core of every one of these persons and phenomena. I find that without him they would not have been. So much have I said in order to show that beyond a shadow of a doubt, if a text made John Knox, then that text made history. Go, said the old reformer to his wife, as he lay a-dying, and the words were his last. Go, read where I cast my first anchor. She needed no more explicit instructions, for he had told her the story again and again. It is Richard Bannatyne's Knox serving man who has placed the scene on record. On November twenty-fourth, 1572, he says, john knox departed this life to his eternal rest 
early in the afternoon he said now for the last time i commend my spirit soul and body pointing upon his three fingers into thine hands o lord thereafter about five o'clock he said to his wife go read where i cast my first anchor she did not need to be told and so she read the seventeenth of john's evangel let us listen as she reads it thou hast given him authority over all flesh that he may give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him and this is life eternal that they might know thee the only true god and jesus christ whom thou hast sent here was a strange and striking contrast eternal life life eternal says the book now listen to the labored breathing from the bed the bed speaks of death the book speaks of life eternal life the dying man starts as the great cadences fall upon his ear this is life eternal that they might know thee life eternal it was there he declares with his last breath it was there that i cast my first anchor how was that first anchor cast i have tried to piece the records together paul never forgot the day on which he saw stephen stoned john knox never forgot the day on which he saw george wishart burned wishart was a man of such grace so knox himself tells us as before him was never heard within this realm he was regarded with an awe that was next door to superstition and with an affection that was almost adoration are we not told that in the days when the plague lay over scotland the people of dundee saw it approaching from the west in the form of a great black cloud they fell upon their knees and prayed crying to the cloud to pass them by but even while they prayed it came nearer then they looked around for the most holy man among them to intervene with god on their behalf all eyes turned to george wishart and he stood up stretching his arms to the cloud and prayed and it rolled back out on the borders of the town however the pestilence was raging and wishart hastening thither took upon his station on the town wall preaching to the plague-stricken on one side of him and to the healthy on the other and exhibiting such courage and intrepidity in grappling with the awful scourge that he became the idol of the grateful people in fifteen forty six however he was convicted of heresy and burned at the foot of the castle wind opposite the castle gate when he came near the fire knox tells us he sat down upon his knees and repeated aloud some of the most touching petitions from the psalms as a sign of forgiveness he kissed the executioner on the cheek saying lo here is a token that i forgive thee my heart do thine office the faggots were kindled and the leaping flames bore the soul of wishart triumphantly skyward and there a few yards off stands knox have a good look at him he is a man rather under middle height with broad shoulders swarthy face black hair and a beard of the same color a span and a half long he has heavy eyebrows eyes deeply sunk cheekbones prominent and cheeks ruddy the mouth is large the lips full especially the upper one the whole aspect of the man is not unpleasing and in moments of emotion it is invested with the air of dignity and majesty knox could never shake from his sensitive mind the tragic yet triumphant scene near the castle gate and when many years afterwards he himself turned aside to die he repeated with closed eyes the prayers that he had heard george wishart offer under the shadow of the stake was it then i wonder that john knox turned sadly homeward and read to himself the great high priestly prayer in the seventeenth of john's evangel 
Was it on that memorable night that he caught a glimpse of the place which all the redeemed hold in the heart of the Redeemer? Was it upon that melancholy evening that there broke upon him the revelation of a love that enfolded not only his martyred friend and himself, but the faithful of every time and of every clime? Was it then that he opened his heart to the magic and the music of those triumphant words? Thou hast given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal, that they should know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Was it then? I cannot say for certain. I only know that we never meet Knox in Scottish story until after the martyrdom of Wishart. And I know that by the events of that sad and tragic day, all his soul was stirred within him. But, although I do not know for certain that the anchor was first cast then, I know that it was cast there. Go, he says, with huskiness of death upon his speech. Read where I first cast my first anchor. And his wife straightway read to him the stately sentences I have rewritten. Life eternal, this is life eternal. This is life eternal, that they might know thee. It was there, there, there that I cast my first anchor. Fierce as were the storms that beat upon Knox during the great historic years that followed, that anchor bravely held. To say nothing of his experiences at court and the powerful efforts to coach or to cow him into submission. Think of those twelve years of exile, eighteen months of which were spent on the French galleys. We catch two furtive glimpses of him. The galley in which he is chained makes a cruise round the Scottish coast. It passes so near the fields of Fife that Knox can distinctly see the spires of St. Andrews. At the moment, Knox was so ill that his life was despaired of, and the taunting vision might well have broken his spirit altogether. But the anchor held. The anchor held. Ah! exclaimed Knox, raising himself on his elbow. I see the steeple of that place where God first in public opened my eyes to his glory, and I am fully persuaded. How weak soever I now appear, that I shall not depart this life till my tongue shall glorify his godly name in the same place. Again, as Carlyle tells, a priest one day presented to the galley slaves an image of the Virgin Mother, requiring that they, blasphemous heretics, should do it reverence. Mother, mother of God, said Knox when the turn came to him. This is no mother of God. This is a piece of painted wood. She is better for swimming, I think, than for being worshipped. And he flung the thing into the river. Knox had cast his anchor in the seventeenth of John's Evangel. This is life eternal, that they might know thee. And since he had himself found life eternal in the personal friendship of a personal Redeemer, it was intolerable to him that others should gaze with superstitious eyes on a bit of painted wood. The thing fell into the river with a splash. It was a rude jest, but an expressive one. All the Reformation was summed up in it. Eternal life was not to be found in such things. This is life eternal, that they might know thee. That, says Knox, is where I cast my first anchor. And through all the storms and stress of these baffling and eventful years, that anchor held. Nor was there any parting of the cable or dragging of the anchor at the last. Richard Bannatyne, sitting beside his honored master's deathbed, heard a long, long sigh. A singular fancy overtook him. Now, sir, he said, the time to end your battle has come. Remember those comfortable promises of our Savior Jesus Christ, which you have so often shown to us? 
and it may be that when your eyes are blind and your ears deaf to every other sight and sound you will still be able to recognize my voice i shall bend over you and ask if you have still the hope of glory will you promise that if you are able to give me some signal you will do so the sick man promised and soon after this is what happened grim in his deep death anguish the stern old captain lay and the locks upon his pillow were floating thin and gray and visionless and voiceless with quick and laboring breath he waited for his exit through life's dark hurdle death hast thou the hope of glory he bowed to catch the thrill that through some languid token might be responsive still nor watched they longed nor waited for some obscure reply he raised a clay-cold finger and pointed to the sky so the death angel found him what time his bow he bent to give the struggling spirit a sweet enfranchisement so the death angel left him what time earth's bonds were riven the cold stark stiffening finger still pointed up to heaven he had a sore fight of the existence says carlyle wrestling with popes and principalities in defeat contention lifelong struggle rowing as a galley slave wandering as an exile a sore fight but he won it have you hope they asked him in his last moment when he could no longer speak he lifted his finger pointed upwards and so died honor to him his works have not died the letter of his work dies as of all men's but the spirit of it never did i not say in my opening sentences that john knox was among the immortal humans when he entered the world he came into it for good this is life eternal that they might know thee that says john knox with his dying breath that is where i cast my first anchor it is a sure anchorage o heart of mine cast thine anchor there cast thine anchor to the oaths and covenants of the most high cast thine anchor to his infallible immutable unbreakable word cast thine anchor in the infinite love of god cast thine anchor in the redeeming grace of christ cast thine anchor in the everlasting gospel cast thine anchor in the individual concern of the individual saviour for the individual soul cast thine anchor there and come what may that anchor will always hold End of chapter eleven